Hello. Welcome to Control Intelligence, a control design podcast that goes deep inside the automation and technology that machine builders, system integrators, and end users rely on to keep production humming efficiently. I'm Mike Bassador, Editor-in-Chief of Control Design, and in this episode, I'm joined by Dave Emery, Director of End-User Sales at BNR Industrial Automation. This is Dave's second role within the organization. Prior to BNR, Dave was with Yaskawa Electric America and held several positions in sales and senior management. He was responsible for the motion and drive sales in North America and for several vertical markets. The adaptive machine concept certainly isn't new, but it's expanding to encompass even more technology. The entire idea is moving forward toward adaptive manufacturing. The Acapos 6D is an important part of that expansion. Practical interest is growing in the need for the technology in verticals such as medical, food and beverage, consumer products, and cosmetics. Pretty much anywhere you find the need for a compact, flexible layout for the manufacturing process. Compared to a standard servo drive and motor, think of an Acapos 6D segment like the drive and motor stator all built into one package. If you're familiar with Acapos track, this is essentially the same as a track segment, which measures 240 millimeters by 240 millimeters by 70 millimeters, and it can be air-cooled, but it's also already set up to be liquid-cooled if necessary. Each segment is supplied with 48 to 60 BDC, and the segments can be combined in any configuration. The only real restriction is that one of the full edges of a segment must be adjacent to a full edge of another segment. Dave, thanks for joining us to talk about Acapos and its evolution, as well as the future of machine control automation in general. Mike, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Dave, as countries reemerge now from the pandemic shutdown, which technologies will be important to manufacturers looking to ramp up quickly? Well, first, let me say how exciting uh, and intrigued I am to be traveling again to customers. Um, the last couple, three months, I've been able to start to see folks again uh, and visit facilities. And so far, those visits uh, have confirmed one thing, that the customers are anxious to improve the level of automation that they currently have. There's no question. This this is, of course, great news for the solution providers like ourselves at BNR. Uh, but you're right. The ramping up quickly is going to be the key. We're already seeing shortages of common items and components, uh, as you, you probably hear across the states in general yep. or the world. You know, now producers are, you know, going to want to capture that need and they're going to want to, you know, expand even into new markets and get into the, get into new things. So several technologies that BNR has and, and is working on, they come to mind when, when we're in this discussion. Certainly, there's going to be more general automation and robotics implemented in the short term. I, I, I don't see how that's not possible considering mm-hmm. pre-COVID that was already trending, right? Absolutely. You know, so I think that's going to continue. Um, but I think what's most exciting is, is producers are asking for more agility, right? They want more flexibility. These, the adaptive machine and adaptive manufacturing concepts that we've been speaking about for going on two years now is, is brings this much needed agility, I guess, and say flexibility to the production floor, right? So allowing what we're saying is near zero downtime changeover and cost-effective small batch production, which is part of the requirements that they're all seeing. I'm also seeing a tighter need for process simulation and digital twin usage. These help prove out concepts early and kind of allow for that fail-fast approach because we want to get to the market quickly. 
So that's helping. And, and then, of course, there's more discussion over cybersecurity. That is definitely a reoccurring topic. Absolutely. Cybersecurity and the Internet of Things in general uh, has become pretty much ubiquitous in the manufacturing area. So building on that, how can machine builders, well, and end users for that matter, take advantage, say, in the industrial Internet of Things and the robotic in order to improve their competitive advantage? Right now, there's been been lots of discussions for for plenty of time now over industrial Internet of Things IIoT, of course, but like like most processes and decisions, more data, specifically more accurate data, I guess is is the key. Overall, machine health and OEE, um, the overall equipment effectiveness, are are super important to producers, right? And therefore, the OEM kind of knows this, so builders know this. The ability to correct faster or even predict a negative occurrence before a failure, it's pretty much paramount to, to what we would consider to be first-class OEE numbers. Inputs to the decision process will be, I don't know, much more detailed and insightful as all these sensors, devices, et cetera, all get connected. Um, the less unknowns and no guesswork in regarding the, the status of the machine, components, et cetera, allows for a much more productive production line. IIoT allows for that true predictive maintenance, real-time monitoring. We're even seeing some potential new business models centered around the service of that machine, right, or those machines or the systems, fleet management, et cetera. So basically like we're doing with, with the ADD ability product, actually. Mm-hmm. And then those technologies, certainly they, they'll uh, alter the way that companies are, are staffing their own manufacturing operations in the future. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a touchy one. We've been talking about, you know, human staffing versus automation or staffing in general versus automation, you know, since I entered this space in 1990. Mm-hmm. But I think but I think companies, you know, like are going to really ultimately make their own decisions with staffing. I will say this, though, that many are struggling right now currently to hire and retain talent of all types, right? Skilled, mm-hmm. experienced operators are not as plentiful as they once were. So, we're looking to the machines um, that need to use these advances in the technology to make the interfaces more in- intuitive, of course, to operate. But also, we've made some great progress with software packages in the last couple of years, like Matthew. Um, we're embedding video, of course, embedding documents into the machine controls. Um, so I think those things are going a long way to offset the lack of talent, but it will be ultimately up to the, you know, to those producers to, to staff. Right. Yeah, certainly, yeah. Uh a smorgasbord of how different uh, companies are uh, handling the shortage of skilled workers and, and how they're going forward. Definitely. Uh, what about, it's not, it's really not a day on the news where you don't hear about it, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> from, yeah, pros and cons from both sides. Uh, right. Sure. Right. What about the evolution of, of software and, and the way that it's impacted requirements for machine hardware? Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, we're all seeing more and more IP, um, if you will, and intellectual properties and differentiation coming from software. That's there's no question. At the automation vendors like ourselves at BNR ABB, um, the machine builders, the systems guys, and the OEMs, right? There's a there's a big push around um, simplification of software, but yet differentiation. I, I think hardware in time will become less the area of di- differentiation until mm-hmm. we see that next chip or IC breakthrough, right? Where hardware just takes a, uh, you know, a stair step leap. But the demands in, in terms of performance, they're, they're 
continuing to go up, right? They're destined to be continue upwards. So I think software is already, but will become even more an area of differentiation in the long term versus the hardware. Absolutely. So that being said, as the, you know, as that IT and OT, the engineering and the, and the IT departments continue their convergence, do you have a prediction or a, a hunch on which one of those will be leading that direction in the, in the future? I do. I think I'm going to take the middle ground for you, though, because I don't <laughs> feel that, that it's uh, so much is going to be who's leading it. I think both are, are independently super important to success of the organization or of the organizations, right? But mm-hmm. I think it's more that the increasing connectivity and the cybersecurity, of course, that we just talked about, means that the OT folks they're going to have to work a lot closer with the IT groups than they do currently to ensure any success and, and really limit the exposure and risk for that builder. This Absolutely. is kind of more of a collaborative approach, I guess, is where I'm going with it, is that mm-hmm. uh, it's not going to be, it's, it, you know, this is going to be a big change uh, as these two groups are traditionally, I'll just say, pretty disconnected. It really won't be so much lead follow as much as I think it will be success based on collaboration. We're seeing it already uh, amongst the product development folks on our side, where we have an OT outward face and an IT side. Uh, They're already becoming closer as as groups anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You you can't aggregate data without IT and you can't interpret it without the OT people. Absolutely. They're kind of going hand in hand. So looking into the future then, how will the technology change well, both machine builders and the end users' business models over, say, the next five years? You talked a little bit about how that's already started to happen, but what sort of new business yeah. models are you seeing or do you think you'll, we'll be seeing in the future? Yeah, I think that's great. great question, I, and I think five years is a stretch, right? I mean, we're going to see it tighter than that. The ramp mm-hmm. is pretty significant because it started – you know, we lost that year, year and a half, right? But but we were already seeing it pre-COVID. But the futures bring in requirements for flexibility, agility, and profitable small batch production. That that we we already see. Producers and of course, therefore, the production equipment they they have to be able to keep up with the the direct to consumer stuff, right? The DTC requirements that 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 the Amazon effect is already in play in almost every production environment that we're serving. Um, everything from snack foods to, well, I would say cosmetics and, and home care, personal care, to medicine, frankly, right, all the way through to, to medicine itself. The right. consumer is getting pretty used to getting, myself included, getting exactly what and how many of what I want, mm-hmm. you know, basically when I want it. Um, right. And not to mention that marketing, the marketing departments is, uh, are focused on differentiation uh, because competitive, because of the competitive nature of the world. Those departments are constantly formatting, uh, changing the formats for packages. They're adding varieties. They're um, creating combinations, right, that, that best serve their user or their consumer. So it's, this isn't easy to do. Um, the logistics of all that has been very complicated uh, and, and expensive. Lar- largely, it's done with volume production, meaning they just crank out whatever it is, they inventory it, and then they co-pack it, right? So they dismantle, repackage. And, and get product out. And that's true of foods all the way to, to e- even medicine. It's expensive, mm-hmm. very expensive. Every time the producer touches it, you know, the product, whether it's a beer or a face cream or a drug, um, there's cost, not to mention the possibility of damage or contamination, right? So we, we're looking at the adaptive manufacturing to allow for a lot many, uh, for many less steps in that process to be able to build those desired varieties 
at the time of producing so that we're not touching it again. Basically, a build-to-order concept, if you will, um, mm-hmm. but more or less a merging of the product. So I think you know, machine builders will inherently need to incorporate that flexibility and agility and, frankly, the convenience for producers into their products, right? So zero changeover is driving much of this, but I think the interface or the HMI or MMI and the data exchange will be just as important. Absolutely, and, and a great segue into the next question I wanted to ask you, actually, about yeah. uh, that that adaptive uh, machine concept. And, and it, like you said, it really has evolved into adaptive manufacturing. So let's yes. talk a little bit about the Acapos. The Acapos 6D, how does that fit into this, this concept and this evolution? Mike, it fits like a glove, right? That's the, that's the best part about it is that this is at exactly the right time for the 6D to become truly this industrialized product. It fits into the whole adaptive manufacturing like a glove. It really does. The next generation of, of these manufacturing platforms like 6D, they make use of, you know, sort of these, these are a little bit of a cliche, but the enabling technologies, right? So these like magnetic levitation, these are magnetic transport systems such as the 6D, uh, Octopus Track, which we talked a little bit about, and of course, Super Track. But even robots, vision, and the smart sensors, all these in close coordination are really maximizing the flexibility and even longevity of the system, right? Fixed automation used to be tossed, right? Now, these technologies are kind of baking in uh, the capacities for quicker changeover, batch size one, and uh, less retooling of anything, right? Even on even on um, new product development. So the, the adaptive machine is retooled, repurposed just as fast as the products change. That's the whole gist behind the, you know, the adaptive machine. And the 6D, really starting to capture imagination of some of these design engineers we're, that we're working with. Some really very interesting developments are, are happening now um, at the machine builder level and the OEM level and in very different verticals, right, and in very different spaces. So it's a very broadly enabling technology. I'm sure it's going to change what we consider to be the standard processes. I really am. So I think the 6D fits tremendous into our adaptive manufacturing concept. Absolutely. And, you know, and when you were saying it fits like a glove. It, it, it kind of made me think, yes, it fits like a glove, not only the right size, but also in the exact color you want and made out of the exact material that you want. I love that. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nicely done. <laughs> so what about the, the modularization that the Octopus 60 offers, where you can use segments? Can you talk a little bit about that and, and the advantages? Yeah. I can. So the, the Octopus line, if you will, between Octopus Track and Octopus 6D, uh, even to some degree, um, Super Track, right, has been modularly designed from the get-go. So the modular design of the 6D segments gives us the design flexibility to match, kind of to match the needs of the system. That's the best way to put it. What that really means is if we've got to go around a corner, we can go around a corner. Um, if we're constrained by the space on a production floor, which we invariably are, right, the the manufacturing space is always, brownfield anyway, is always uh, an issue. So this gives us the opportunity to reconfigure. So a production line can be built with these segments, um, shuttles, et cetera, tooling, and then dismantled and then reassembled. So it doesn't have to be thrown away, much like some of the fixed automation in the past with conveyance, et cetera, had to be. Um, I can't tell you how many times I would see old 
quote unquote conveyor lines out in the back sides of these facilities that are just, you know, not available for use. So the reconfiguration is a big piece of it, especially when we already see format changes, uh, production changes through marketing, et cetera. So, you know, we can later fit that same equipment to the next process and, and optimize that product flow. So it's a, that, that's pretty key to the adaptive mm-hmm. machine piece. Sure. Yeah. The flexibility. Absolutely. So, and you know, the, uh, the six $4,000 question. Yeah. What about the application? You know, what do you envision the Acropos 60 being used in? Which which verticals or, you know, what type of yeah. applications is this key for? Like, man, I haven't said this in a while, but, I mean, it's really boundless. I mean, we've, we've got applications in play that span the, the nature of, of, of our business, right? It's just, it's incredible. Uh, and they're all valid, right? They're all some, there's validity to all of them. So, you know, the 60 is basically the backbone for almost any of the adaptive machine or manufacturing, adaptive manufacturing processes. The six degrees of freedom, uh, that's mm-hmm. the 60, of course, the six degrees right. that, that each of the shuttle can move through opens up such a wide range of use cases, right? The fact that we got pitched yaw and rotation, right, as ver- and vertical, XYZ, of course, it's just, it's crazy. So, I would say to name kind of a few that we would say are already in play in terms of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, the 60 is, is, is well served in pick and place, um, liquid and, and powder dispensing, process to process transport, kind of what it was actually built for. Uh, right. I've seen batching. I mean, collating, we're, we're bringing things together. Of course, it's used uh, right now in filling, labeling and capping. But also uh, electronic assembly is, is super interesting because there was always a level of accuracy in that uh, assembly process that most had to be pinned. I mean, there were some you know certain subtleties around that, but but assembly is also um, super high on our list for opportunity, right? But this list is by no means exhaustive. Uh, our customers are are just I think just scratching the surface of the sure. capabilities, and and we as engineers are just super excited to to see what's next, right? Yeah, absolutely. The flexibility certainly makes the sky the limit. Right. Sure does. All right. Well, thanks again, David. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk this afternoon. Uh, enjoyed it immensely. You've certainly uh, shed some new light on the future of machine automation, and you've definitely given us some food for thought regarding uh, motion. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. I'm, I love I love these kinds of topics because they're they're fun, aggressive, and and new and 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 really BR is very well positioned around these things. So I'm, I was happy to be here and uh, I look forward to doing it again. Thanks so much. And thanks to our listeners for joining us on this episode of Control Intelligence.